I thought I heard one good morning out there. I, I hope you folks are not just painted on the wall. You really are here, aren't you? Okay, good morning. And welcome to Central Baptist Church this morning. And guess what? We get to have church today. All right, let's turn first of all to number 40 in our songbook. And I'll ask you to join me on this. Are you washed in the blood? That's the question. Number 40. Everybody joining in. Number 40 in your songbook. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? In the blood of the Lamb, when the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you white in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb in the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Amen. Only God can make a garment look white with blood on it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All right, let's turn over now a few pages to number 59. Number 59, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Number 59, days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and dreary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary. are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Cal 
on Jesus today leaves your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Trouble so the Savior can see. Every heartache and cheer. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very dear. Amen. Shake hands with someone around you there. Tell them it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church Sunday School Hour. Uh, this next week, we have Thursday, we have volleyball for our senior adults. So make sure that you make plans to attend that. Lace up your laces. Put your war paint on, which happens. I don't know how frequently, but war paint is applied. Um, and smat talk is delivered. Okay. Encouraged. Oh, ouch. Just not on Sundays, right? Not on Sundays or Wednesdays. All right. Um, it, any, any birthdays this week? Any birthdays this week? Any um, anniversaries this week? All right. Well, um, as our ushers are coming, if um, keeping um, prayer 
in your prayer, um, preacher Ms. Wiggins, um, today. Um, continue, I do not have an up-to-date on Don Dowdy, but keep him in, in your prayers. Um, continue to pray for Brother King. He is in rehab still, as far as I'm aware. And Emmanuel Gonzalez, uh, Camilla's dad, who I'm sure he'll be known for soon, Camilla's dad, is um, he was supposed to have surgery on Friday, but something happened with insurance. I don't know all the details of that, so be in prayer for that. That will um, work itself um, out. Um, Brother Randy, if you would pray for our offering, please, sir. Welcome to Sunday School. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 once again. Um, and I know I had said uh, we might be moving through the, the last verse in Galatians chapter 5, but I, I don't think the Lord would have us to do that this morning. And uh, in my preparation for last week, I I don't know how it happened, but I, I really didn't... Uh, expand on verse 24, uh, and, and it, that actually came to my understanding very late in, in the, the preparation process, and, and, um, and the Lord put that verse back on my heart um, this week as I was preparing for the lesson, and, and so I, I think that uh, the Lord would have us just to focus on that this morning and, uh, and then finish chapter 5 and move into chapter 6 next week. So we'll be in verse... Uh, 24, I'm going to read 24 and 25 this morning, um, but uh, just to, again, we'll just get back up to speed with our background as we do every week. Uh, the Galatians have been removed to this false gospel, adding uh, works of the law to faith of, as a means of salvation and, and justification and sanctification and everything. They were, they were adding things to 
the law. So they, the ones that had been saved were now bringing works into the picture, and the ones that uh, hadn't been saved, they're preaching this false gospel to, and so we're creating a, a, a large problem here in, in the churches of Galatia. And so uh, we learned that uh, about Paul asserts, as he d- often does, his authority as an apostle, and then his authority uh, of that he's preaching the gospel and He's uh, teaching about grace by faith alone, apart from any works, of course. And we moved into uh, chapter 5 after, you know, uh, books one, chapters 1 through 4. We're going over uh, the teaching and the, the, the uh, knowledge portion, and then we start getting into practical application. And I think Pastor mentioned the other day, uh, or maybe on Wednesday night, uh, about how the Apostle Paul's books tend to be, the epistles tend to be. Uh, where he's given the teaching and then he gives kind of the practical application and really starts digging down and, and uh, getting to where we live, so to speak, as I've said before. Um, and so this morning I, I want to focus, uh, and, I, and I feel like the Lord would have us to look at this, this matter of being crucified, being crucified. And we've touched on this before. And if you, if you recall some of the first uh, lessons that we went through, we had kind of... Um, dove into a few of these and touched on some of these different uh, doctrinal aspects of what he was teaching and, and uh, as far as being, you know, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, and some of the other, these other things and, and being crucified uh, is, is one of these, these elements that we had talked about. So let me read uh, verses 24 and 25 and we'll pray real quick. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. We do ask that you would be with our pastor and others that, that are sick. We think of the Dowdies and Brother King and, and uh, these others, Lord, Brother Emmanuel, who's uh, going to be having surgery and all these things. We just ask that you would uh, touch them and help them, Lord, give them comfort and grace. We ask that you'd help us now that our hearts and minds would be uh, receptive and open to your word. Help me as I teach it, Lord. Uh, that you'd be honored and glorified and uh, that, that you'd help me to have clarity of thought, to say only what you once said, and uh, that we'd, again, bring honor and glory to you and your precious son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we had talked last week uh, about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit, and, and that, that these things are are manifest in us as, as we submit and, and we give control to the Spirit, and we uh, we ended off, uh, well, just over the course of chapter uh, 5, we've, we talked about the, the standing fast. And so that, that initial understanding of the gospel, uh, the Apostle Paul had implored them and reminded them that, that to stand fast in these things that they had, uh, that, that really saved them, that, that they had originally uh, been taught. And then uh, he talks about how you did run well. And so we, we kind of discussed how uh, that, that motivation had been lost and that, that reaching for the, the prize of the high calling had, had really been, been lost in this whole process because the, you, when, you, when you add works into things, you, you begin to get inward focus. You start to look at what you're doing and then because you can't get to a certain point, then you start looking at those around you and com- comparing yourself to what others are doing because you can never meet up with uh, the law of Christ and so, uh, or the, the, the law of the Old Testament, I should say. And, and so, uh, we see that uh, happening, and, and he, he, he's telling them, you did run well, and so we're talking about course correction. We're talking about getting back to what we had already um, been doing originally, uh, and, and, and then he talks about, uh, and then he talks about uh, walking and, and walking in the Spirit, 
and that this is our, our daily walk. So standing would be the immovable nature of our calling. Running is the attitude by which we're to live our Christian lives. And then uh, if, we, if we've been moved and we aren't running well, then we can't do the, those daily things. And, and we understand that the daily life of a Christian should pr- produce fruit. And that's the, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And we talked last week about these uh, th- that we're supposed to have that mindset, that we're, that we're supposed to be filling our minds with these things, uh, these spiritual things, these scriptural things, so that we can, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, we can think on whatsoever things are just, or whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, uh, if uh, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, that we're supposed to think on these things. Uh, and we're so to do that, we have to fill our minds with Scripture. We have to we have to be in tune with the things of God, and uh, that's how you end up with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, is is it's a lot of the warfare is waged on uh, in the mind, and so uh, again we ended last week on uh, in, with that in mind on in Psalm one one through one verses one through three. Uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And we talked about uh, part of this is abiding in Christ, and, and this, this fruit-bearing process involves abiding in Christ. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so the, the fruit, again, is the end result of abiding in Christ. And so when we talk about abiding in or being in Christ, um, we see in, back in Psalm 1 that, that meditating on Scripture, as I said, is, is the, a practical method. But uh, you might ask, okay, th- we understand the, the practical method of doing that, and, uh, but, but there, there's another element to this. There's a, there's, there's a, the, uh, you might ask, how, how does the, the law of the Lord become your delight? There, because there's the meditating piece, and there's the memorization, and there's the uh, feeding your mind scripture and, and having scripture in your heart. There's, the, there's these parts to that, but, but without the delight portion, without, without the right uh, mindset to do these things, it, it can be difficult. This is where your Bible just ends up laying there, and you find better things to do. So uh, how do you begin that, that, that delight process? How do you get into that? And, uh, and, and the fact is, it's not natural to do that. It's not, it's not natural to our flesh to do that uh, for any of us. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so, as we, as we talked about, we were in Romans 8 last week talking about the carnal mind and, and the spiritual mind. And they that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And, and, and this is really where we are, is this, this motivation, this what is your mindset? What, what, what is your motivation for doing these things? And, and a big part of this is, is we get into where we need to deny self. And it ties into our verse here, verse 24, denying ourselves crucifying or, or killing the flesh, not, not the physical flesh, obviously, we're not, you know, we're not chopping our arms off or anything like that, um, but the carnal man that holds the affections and the lusts, it's, it's that, that mindset, that, that, that flesh, uh, the, the uh, unseeable thing that draws us into sin uh, constantly. So, so when we talk about death, we talk about crucifixion, we talk, we'll talk about mortification a little bit. 
death is extreme. I mean, when you think about it, this is, I mean, what's the worst thing that, that you could possibly imagine happening to you on a daily basis is death. Like, I mean, the reason we don't run stoplights is because we don't want to get T-boned and die. The, the, the reason a lot of our motivation for following rules is, is to, and a lot of reason rules exist, is to preserve life. It's, it's to keep us from dying. So uh, that's, a, that's an extreme thing to say crucified. To say crucified is, is uh, about as, as, as uh, black and white as you can get. You know, so we're built for survival. It's, we, we spend a lot of time trying not to die, if you really think about it. I mean, and, and, and even the way God designed us, if you think about if everybody's been up on a ladder and, you know, you put the ladder up to clean the gutters out or whatever, hang something on the wall, and that thing shifts a little bit, what happens? Your adrenaline goes through the roof. That's that survival mentality. That's that instinct that just instantly happens. God programmed us with the ability to, to get out of a situation uh, that, that would die. And so if that ladder starts to fall, you'll find a lot of times that you, you start moving pretty quick. Like your, your, your arm raises up to grab onto something a lot faster than you even thought you could move a lot of times. And that's that adrenaline. You get that shot of whatever is necessary to keep yourself from harm or from, from uh, a fatality. And, and spiritually, we have that same inclination. This mindset that I'm talking about, is it, it ties into this same, the flesh has this instinct, this survival instinct, this uh, need to preserve in itself that even though that we're born again and we're regenerated and, and we belong to God and we have uh, the power over sin and things like that, this inclination uh, of the flesh to, of self-preservation, of survival is still hanging on. It's clinging to us constantly. And so, so the flesh is emotionally fighting and clawing for survival. And I mean, think about how you feel internally when somebody slights you or somebody insults you or something like that. It feels very similar, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it's just me, but, it, you know, if somebody really does something, especially if you're not expecting it, especially if you're really trying to be nice or, you know, and somebody just snaps like that at you, uh, I get that same, you know, you get a, a little bit of adrenaline. Like, there's, a, there's something there, right? There's something that comes up, just like if you were wobbling on that ladder. There's that, there's that other side to this. There's that spiritual side where we have that survival instinct. There's, there's that, that, and I say instinct, and I don't, you know, I, I don't like to use that word really because it, it kind of inclines toward evolution. And I know it, this is programmed by God, by our creator into us. And, and it's for a specific reason. The flesh, though, will pervert that because our flesh is corrupted. And so it, when somebody's insulting us or something like that, we, that, that old flesh comes back up. That survival instinct starts to raise up and rear its head. And you could feel that. It's just a, an extreme example. But when we're talking about the flesh, the, the heart, or the, the seat of our emotions, and we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? We know that. And, and, and so this is where that, that longing or that lust, those affections that we're talking about in verse 24, this is where they originate from. This is, this is that spot in us that we all can feel. You can't see it. You know it's there, though. You know it. You feel it when, when it rises up. And this is what we're talking about with, with crucifixion. We're, we're talking about that, that, that crucifying of the flesh. If you want uh, to turn to John chapter 12 with me, we'll just begin kind of down this road. In John chapter 12, uh, and, I, and I love this passage, and maybe, maybe I, I don't want to, 
I don't want to be a, a get off the path too much. I, I really I think this ties in, but I do I am biased toward this because I, I just love uh, verse 21 in particular. Um, and it came to my mind as, as I'm preparing. And so we see here uh, some Gentiles. Jesus has, has, has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, we're approaching the cross now. We're on our way. Um, and, and we see that there's some Gentiles that show up. And th- these are some Greeks uh, th- that they're coming to try to get an audience with Jesus. And so uh, the thinking is that they, they go to Philip first because he has a Greek name. And I think, uh, it, based on my reading, is that his family was kind of from the same area as a lot of these Greeks were. And so they may have known him or they were familiar with him or maybe they just heard his name and thought, let's, let's talk to this guy. And so they, they go to Philip and, and they ask this question. In verse, uh, John chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. I just think that's a beautiful, a beautiful verse. That, that, they, they just came there. That, you know, the, the Passover was happening, and you know what happens when there's a festival. I mean, thousands of people had descended upon Jerusalem for this. Uh, Jew, it's primarily Jewish. It is a Jewish festival, but it would be primarily Jewish folks. But, you know, people come to sell things. People have their wares, and this is a place where a lot of people are coming for an event. So you probably have Gentiles, obviously, coming in. Uh, maybe they're proselytized to, to the Jewish faith, or, or maybe they were there to sell some things or to come and buy some things. There's probably just anything imaginable was probably available there. But these guys, they, they cut through all those things. They, they had heard about this man, Jesus. They had understood that he had, he had made this triumphal entry. Uh, they, they maybe heard of some of his miracles and works. They hear about this kingdom and, and that's, that, that's going to be set up, and, and they, they hear all these things, and they cut through all these things, all the pleasures of life, all, all the, the hoopla and, and the, the festivities, and they, and they want to see Jesus. If only we had more people today that just, sir, we would see Jesus. That's, that's why they came. They didn't come to church for, for the, the things that the church could do for them, but they just wanted to see Jesus. We just want to, sir, we would see Jesus. I love that. So, so they, they had heard or, or of Jesus, and, and they come in, and, the, and Philip doesn't go directly to Jesus. He actually goes to Andrew, and then they both go to Jesus with, with the request. And, and look at how Jesus responds to these, to these men. He says in uh, 22 through 24, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So these men only wanted to see Jesus, and they, they were inquiring about him, and Jesus responds with, I have to die for you. I have to go die for you. Is, is, and and it's, is that, as if he's saying, is that, is that what you came to see? Is, I, I, I'm going to die. This is what's about to happen. Uh, and if I don't die, you can't live. And, and so Jesus essentially preaches the cross to these men, but, but he doesn't stop there. They, they came to see him, and we can gather that they were interested in serving him. And, and Jesus tells them this in verse 25 and 26. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so wait a second. This doesn't seem to sync up. Uh, with how we're designed, we're 
we're physically and emotionally day in and day out in self-preservation mode like we just talked about. This is, uh, this is counter to what, what's supposed to happen. This, we're not supposed to die to live. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but Jesus is asking for his followers uh, to the death of the cross. If, if you would love your life, you'll lose it. And, and if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it unto life eternal. And, and Jesus continue, continually preaches this message. This is his message. Uh, it, it, anyone that wants to follow him, it, it's uh, walking with a crucified mindset. It, you have to have a crucified mindset. Carrying a cross is, is the idea here. When he's talking about following, it's not just walking a path. It's, it's being burdened down. It's, it's crucifying. There's sacrifice involved. Um, Matthew chapter 10, 38 and 39 and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Mark chapter 8, 34 36, and when he had called the, the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And some of these are the same instance. I'm not trying to imply that these are all different, you know, these are different accounts of the same message in some of these cases. But the fact is that throughout the gospels, this is the message. This is this is what Jesus is preaching. Luke chapter 9 kind of brings us to where we're going. Uh, verses 22 through 24. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He says daily. Daily. The, the intent of Jesus' words here is to say that this crucifixion will be a daily event. It's going to be a daily event for you. We must daily deny self, take up our cross, and follow Christ. It's a daily event. And so, so what, what are we relating all this to here? There, there's two aspects to being crucified with Christ. And this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. We've kind of been over this a little bit. But we're, we're both crucified or dead to sin uh, that is the power and eternal penalty of sin. When you get saved, when you get 100% of the Holy Ghost when you get saved. When you become a new creature, you are dead. You are crucified to sin, to the power of sin, to, to the eternal penalty of sin, but not from the presence of sin. And so we're di this, this aspect of dying daily is this daily presence of sin in our, in our world and all around us. And that flesh that is still part of us, that still has its own desires, that still has its own mindset, that still rears its ugly head every time we get a little bit out of shape. Galatians 2.20, again, bringing this back from our study before, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. See, it, though you're crucified, there's still a life to live in the flesh. And, and this life now, though, is lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then 524, that, again, our, our text here, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And so if we're saved, we're crucified with Christ, we turn from our sin and took up our cross to follow him. And, and, and make no mistake, uh, this involves repentance. You, you cannot turn from sin unto Christ without 
bearing that cross without an understanding. I mean, he was very upfront with these, these men, uh, these Gentiles that came to see him. Uh, maybe, they wanted, maybe their motivations weren't right. We don't know. It's a good motivation to want to see Jesus. And he told them, this is what it is. You have to, you have to follow me. You have to die. You have to follow me. If you, if you, you need to die to this, this flesh, you need to turn and you need to follow me. That's, that's how you serve me. That's how you get into the kingdom. This is, this is what, the way it works. But, but then there's this matter of uh, the, the crucifixion itself. So the crucifixion itself is not unto death. It's the, the crucifixion uh, was not like a hanging or a firing squad, if we think about it. And we all know this, but, but just, just bear with me here. Uh, it's not like you go to the electric chair and they flip the switch and in a couple of seconds you're dead. It's not like there's 20 guys lined up, one of them has a live bullet and he's going to shoot you in the heart. It's not like they, they drop the trap door and your neck snaps and you're gone. Crucifixion was not that way. Crucifixion was a process. It, 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 when we talk about the cross and being crucified, we're talking about extended suffering beyond our imagination. And what Jesus went through on the cross is unimaginable. And he had already been tore up and beaten and bruised before he even got to that point. Spit on and everything else. So what is this all getting at? We've heard that the cross would frequently be hours and hours of suffering, as I said. And when Jesus was crucified, the Jews needed to expedite the deaths of those on the cross because it was preparation for the Sabbath day. And so they had Pilate order the soldiers to make sure that the men were dead before the Sabbath got here because they couldn't have the dead bodies hanging there. And we know that Jesus gave up the ghost. He wasn't killed by anybody. He willingly gave his life. He gave up the ghost. Uh, but the other two crucified with him, they were still alive. If you want to flip over to John 19, if you're still in, if you have your place there in John. John 19, 32 and 33, it says, and this isn't a huge deal if you can't make it there. It just says that, that then, the, then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. That's important. It's, it's important to understand Jesus was already dead because he wouldn't have been dead. It was, he died quickly because he gave up, his, he gave up the ghost. He, he chose that. He, he, gave up, he gave his life for us, and that's why he did it. But, but, but these other men weren't dead, and so guess what? They had to break their legs. Uh, so the, we understand that the manner of being crucified, you'd, you'd get your hands and your feet nailed to the cross and it was, your, the body would hang in such a way that it was kind of out and, and down on the arms so you can't breathe unless you push up on those nails driven through your feet or that nail driven through both feet, however it was, and you raise up to take a breath. Can you imagine how agonizing that would be, how painful that would be just to take a breath? And so the idea was that they would just slowly suffocate because they, they would just not be able to push up. So the, they break the legs so that they couldn't push up anymore. They, they break those bones and then they just have to hang there and suffocate. Still miserable, still awful, but they would die quicker, um, although in, in severe pain and agony. Um, so this matter of being crucified with Christ and, and having crucified the flesh is the understanding that, that uh, sin no longer has power over us. But, but we're still in this body of flesh. We're, we're still prone to wander, right? So, so the two thieves on either side of Jesus, uh, they, they actually paint a good picture of this. Uh, the agony of the cross was having to push up on the nails driven through your feet to take a breath. Uh, and we see that one of the men on the cross pushing up in agonizing pain, what does he do? He rails on Jesus. 
Can you imagine that, just imagine the pain that it would be, that you would be in already, and then you're just trying to get a little breath just, just to sink back down to be in more pain to, to then experience excruciating pain again to take your next breath. I'm wasting breath right now. I'm out of breath right now. But the, you think they, they pushed up in pain. This, 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 this one thief on the cross pushes up through the pain, wastes his breath to rail on Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that that's self-preservation. That, that's the flesh right there. That's, that's how desperately wicked we can be when, when we succumb to the flesh. Uh, you, you, you are not beyond that because, because the flesh is, goes into that self-preservation mode. And this guy, he's like, if you could save us, you better do it. And I'm going to go through all this pain just to tell you that and waste my breath and then sink back down and, and be in pain again. I mean, that, that's really something. That's, it's very sad. And, and then we see the other man, though. This is the other side. This is, this is kind of a picture of the, that's, that spirit, that's, that renewed creature inside of us. And, of course, he, he, he gets saved here. But, but in Luke 23, uh, 42, he says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And, and, and you see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So, so the man who called upon Jesus endured pain for a moment to take a stand for Christ. He rebuked the other thief. So he raises up, and he goes through the agony and the pain. And what, and what he does in, in Luke 23, 40, and 41, he says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And so this is the picture of the Christian life, that, that you're, you're enduring the pain, that you're dying to self, that you're overcoming that self-preservation mode. You're raising up to take a stand for Christ. You, have, you are overcoming the flesh to stand up for Christ, to confess Him before men. This is the idea. So these men on, on the crosses on either side of the Lord exemplify both our flesh in the preservation mode and the new man suffering pain and loss. Now with an eternal mindset. He was, he was, he, Jesus said, I'll, I'll, you'll be with me today in paradise. He had an eternal mindset. He understood this was the Son of God. So how does this tie into our spiritual walk? We must kill, crucify, and it's also otherwise talked about in the Bible as mortify the affections and lusts of the flesh daily. And we, we might say that sin has a hold on me. It's, it's too strong. There's things that I just can't, get rid of and and that may be the case and we're all going through this we're we're all we all have flesh we all get into in, into sin and, and different things we we have issues however we understand that when we're born again this new man is empowered to defeat sin you see sin doesn't have power over you anymore whereas before you were born again you were you were chained to sin you were being drugged gradually into hell by your sin uh, and you were under the law, under the weight of the law, under the condemnation of the law. But once you're saved, you're no longer there. You're, you're, you're a child of God. You, you, you're no, you no longer, sin had, no longer has that power over you. And you can overcome sin now by the power of the Spirit. And, that, and that's what we kind of talked about last week. So uh, how, how, do we, how do we mortify? What is this, what is this uh, situation that we're talking about? Uh, Romans uh, 8.13, it says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, 
through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So it's through the Spirit. When, when we submit to the Spirit, when we live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, as it says in verse 25 of Galatians, then we have the power to deny ourselves and to deny sin daily. Daily. Colossians 3, 5 through 7 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. He's talking to Christian people. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. See, they, they, once you're saved, you don't live that way anymore. You don't live in that sin anymore. You're a new creature now. So, so mortification, though, is a process, and it, and it ties into sanctification, which is a much bigger topic that, that I'm, I'm not going to get a whole lot into. You could do many messages on sanctification, but this is this progressive idea of, of dying to sin. We're, we're, we're dying each day a little more to sin as you submit to the Holy Ghost, You're, as you learn things, as you read your Bible. So, so mortification, Webster's 1828, is the act of subduing the passions and appetites by penance, abstinence, or painful se- severities inflicted on the body. The mortification of the body by fasting has been the practice of almost all nations, and the mortification of the appetites and passions by self-denial is always a Christian duty. So, so that's, that's the Webster's 1828. And th- so this is the process, process whereby we're continually dying to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It, it's a continual thing until we get to glory. It's, it's, it's going to be this, this flesh is going to be against us the whole way, but we should be getting better. We should be getting closer to the Lord. We should be exemplifying the, the fruit of the Spirit more regularly uh, though we're not going to get to 100% in this lifetime, we, we, can, we can be more and more spiritual as time goes on, as we draw nearer to the Lord. And it's, uh, it's uh, directly proportional to how much of God's word we put into us, how, how faithful we are to him, and how many things that we deny ourselves in our lives. So how does it work? You deny your physical flesh, let's say food, for, for fasting, uh, the, the idea is that every time you feel tempted to eat, when, you're, when your physical flesh starts to get hungry, and like, I want to I get a sandwich right now, I'm really hungry, uh, you, that, those hunger pangs should point you to God. Those, those hunger pangs should remind you, and, and, and really the idea is to, to get into a state of prayer when those things happen. To overcome the flesh, you have to be in a spiritual mindset. That's the only way to do it. Uh, now, some people go the route of trying to distract yourself, getting a hobby, doing you know this, that, and the or the other, um, and that's that, that that's temporary. That's not going to work forever. And and really, while you're doing the hobby, you, you if you have issues with th- the thought life or anything like that, it just doesn't work. You're just going to start thinking about the wrong things. But it, but it put, it's supposed to put you in a Christ mindset. So so denying affections and lusts, it works the same way. When we're tempted, it should put us in a Christ mindset. When you feel that temptation, whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, and it might be something different every day, but when you feel that temptation, when you know it's wrong, when you've been under conviction of it, we need to go to the Lord with it. You have to take it to God. You have to, you have to uh, crucify the flesh. That's, that's what it is. You're denying your flesh or your mind the, the uh, indulgence of these things, and you're taking it to the Lord in prayer. And this is how we, we draw nearer to him. This is how we submit to him. So you've heard of rigor mortis. And these words are closely related with mortification. It's that stiffening process after death. 
the longer the, the dead sit there, and I think it's like four hours it fully sets in in, in, a, in a body, but um, the more they sit there, the, the less flexible they are. They stiffen up. And that's the idea is that we, we crucify these appetites so that they lose their flexibility to wrap their arms around us and, and control our life. They, they, you, you stiffen these things up. You, 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 uh, you kill them so that they can't control you anymore. And how do we do this? And there's just two things and I'll be done. We only got five minutes here. First is to renew the spiritual. Renew the spiritual. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 um, it says, for, for the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And, and Paul is saying here that through serving the Lord and all the outward suffering that, that may put his physical body in peril through his serving of the Lord, that uh, through submitting to the will of God by doing this, he's renew, God is renewing him day by day. He's not renewing himself. This isn't something that we do to ourselves. It's a matter of submitting to him, and God honors and blesses and renews that. Because you're honoring him. Romans 12, 1 and 2, of course, we, we've talked about this before. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the problem we talked about before. A living sacrifice can get off the altar, right? You, you, you have to make the choice. You have to submit and stay there. It's a li- you're a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. It's reasonable to be holy, It's reasonable to sacrifice these things. It's reasonable to crucify the flesh. It's reasonable to mortify uh, and and to kill sin, to kill the flesh and and the lust thereof, that you may prove what is that good. I'm sorry. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Day by day, we need to be renewing our mind. We need to be refreshing our mind. We should have a constant and consistent prayer life. We should, we should be in the word of God. We should be hiding his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. That's the recipe. That's how you do it. We, we should, we, these things enable us to have the fruit of the spirit. These things enable us to have the Christ-like love that we need to have in, in dealing with others, in dealing with our family, in dealing with our enemies. Uh, love thy neighbor as thyself, fulfilling the law of Christ. But this renewing isn't through osmosis. We have to, we, we can see we have to deny self. We have to submit to him. We have to equip ourselves, as I said. And so it, it's like potential on a battery. It, your battery just sits in your car and, and it has power there. There's 28 volts or 12 volts or whatever. Air, airplanes is 28. I'm an airplane guy. So 12 volts, uh, they, it's just sitting there until you turn the, the ignition, right? And, and then your car starts and you can get moving. But if it just sits in the driveway, you, ha- you have all the power in the world right there in the battery, and you're not accessing that power. So first is renew the spiritual. Second is do not make provision for the flesh. And if you want to turn to Romans 13, I'm going to read a few more verses here. And I'm almost out of time, so I might start here in just a second. I'll give you a beat to get there. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and not in chambering and wantonness, not in uh, strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So what does it mean to make provision for the flesh? It's talking about forethought uh, making you're making a way 
to where your flesh would be enticed or where you would succumb to these lusts of the flesh. Um, I always, when I read this passage, I always remember uh, the story of Lot and, and how uh, Genesis 13 where uh, his, his cattle and Abraham's cattle are striving in the field and Abraham says, hey, here, I'll solve it. I'll go one, whatever way you don't want to go, I'll go that way. You pick to the right or to the left, it's your decision. And what did Lot do? But he, he, he saw Sodom over there. He saw the well-watered plain, and he, he saw this city. There's lots of stuff for me to do over there. They, they've got bright and shiny lights and all the things, but the city was wicked, and they knew that. It was a known, a known wicked city, and what did he do? He, pinched, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He made provision for the flesh. He, he, he put himself and his family in a position to be tempted and, and to succumb to, to the, the lusts and the affections of the flesh. And the next thing you know, in Genesis 14, uh, Abraham's coming, having to come to rescue him, and it, ta- it talks about that now he's living in Sodom. He's living there, the mo- one of the most wicked cities in the history of the world. And, and Lot, it was progressive. He made provision for the flesh. And so when we, when we talk about these things, uh, we're talking about inward. This is, this is about holy living. And, and let me just say it talks about walking in the light uh, when we get saved, you don't know everything. You don't know what you're not supposed to do. And so we need to have grace with each other, especially folks that have newly converted, folks that have maybe been out of the will of God for a little while. Uh, we have to understand that uh, you're responsible for the light. As, as you read through the word of God and the Lord starts convicting you about the things that you need to remove from your life, that's what we're talking about. You're, you're following Christ if you're doing what you're supposed to do. When things are revealed to you as sin, when you're convicted about things, and, and when, or when you become aware of things, because a lot of folks will say, well, I'm not convicted about that, so I don't need to worry about it. No, that's not the case. You know, we're not looking for a feeling or an emotion here. We're looking for obeying God. So when you find out what God wants, that, and it should convict you, but even if it doesn't, if it's what God wants, if it's what the, the Word of God says to do, that's what we're talking about. That's that walking in the light. And you get more and more and more the closer to Christ you become, uh, which should be a daily event. You should be getting closer, drawing near to him. He'll draw nigh unto you. You'll see what he wants. You'll see what, it's gonna, what, what it is like to be in his presence. And you want more of that. You want to get closer to him. You want to, you want to kill sin. You, you, you develop a hatred for sin in your life. You, you start, things start to bother you more. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing is that when you first get saved, you're not going to be all the way there. This is a process. This is sanctification. This is mortification. You're, you're going to learn more things as you go, and you're going to get to, to the point where, man, I just don't even want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to be involved in that anymore. And that, that's what it's all about. That's, and, and you're empowered to do those things by the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for, um, for, for being able to gather here today. I ask that you bless the service to come. I ask that you bless the lesson, Lord. I, I hope it made sense, and I hope that uh, folks would uh, be blessed by it and, and uh, would honor and glorify you in, in each of our lives. And uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you for everything that you've done, for everything you'll do. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious, holy, and wonderful name. Amen.